0: Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of our Royal Books podcast series, featuring a conversation between Tessel Veneboer and Mackenzie Wark about her new book, Philosophy for Spiders on the Low Theory of Cathy Acker, published September 2021 by Duke University Press. Tessel is a PhD researcher at the University of Ghent. Her research, the queer potential of fragmentation, sexuality, and identity. In Kathy Acker's work, couldn't be a better frame to talk to our guest, scholar and writer Mackenzie Wark. Mackenzie is professor of media and culture at Eugene Lang College, at the New School, and author of several books, including Censorian, Thinkers for the 21st Century, Reverse Cowgirl, and Capital is Dead. Is This Something Worse? Her correspondence with Kathy Acker was published as I'm into you. Quoting her. The book contains elements of memoir and criticism, but is neither. Instead, offering a comprehensive reading of Cathy Acker's published and archived works, Mackenzie finds an Acker not just an inventive writer of fiction, who pressed against the boundaries of gender, but a theorist whose comprehensive philosophy of life brings a conceptual intelligence to the everyday life of those usually excluded from philosophy's purview. There are feminist Ackers, punk Ackers. Queer hackers, kink hackers, avant-garde hackers. In the conversation, they talk about Mackenzie's proposal to add a trans hacker to this web as well. Furthermore, they talk about the intentions of the book, the why of the low theory, translate, and what Sarah Schumann calls the growing My Cathy genre. The episode features sound from useless movement, a track by Terra Temlitz and Laurence as well as readings by Mackenzie from the book. You can get a copy of the book at www.wion.space or at our Brussels-based store. Enjoy.
1: I wanted to write about what I learned from Kathy in person and what I learned from reading Akra's texts based on who I could become in part through knowing her both ways. I didn't know her in person for long at all. There are many others who can write with a lot more understanding about who she was. Nor am I a specialist in her writing or even the kind of writing she wrote. I haven't dug deep in her archive nor interviewed people around her. I make no claim that anything to do with Kathy Acker is my private property. I will note in passing that we shared a dislike for both writers and scholars who treat somebody or some body of work as if they owned it. The bourgeois writer is an acquisitive animal, a creature of power, ownership and control. What it writes it owns. That which writes is the kind of being that can own Kathy was a different beast—or beasts. Martin, Martin Skelino, a kleptoside, is a spider that appropriates another's web and eats the prey entrapped there. In a sense, the deliberate, overt plagiarisms of Kathyaka are kleptoparasitical. Red Expectations, Don Quixote, The Story of O. Acker steals these and other narrative webs, but it's not easy to tell what victims are coiled in these already woven fictions. Because Acker always recounts her own life story as if it too was a stolen text. And because this auto-plagiarism always involves the victimization of the teller, the knots in these stolen, intersecting webs are unraveled to reveal insect within, whose form mirrors that of the spider, unwrapping it." This is not an interpretation of the life or work of Cathy Acker, as if she was something over which I had claims, that would be verifiable facsimiles or likenesses of her essence. Rather, she made texts, she lived and wrote in a particular way, the living and writing being a connected kind of praxis, the warp and weft of the same act of transforming things. The form of the praxis makes the texts in their own distinctive way. Here is a text made out of her texts using a different praxis. I learned a lot from Cathy as a human and Cathy as a writer and about four of the grand obsessions of our times, love and money, sex and death. She made sort of a gift towards me, and I'm returning it after a fashion. Here is a little about what that gift was. A body that writes is a body that fucks. There are particular asymmetries of the way bodies may fuck. Dom and sub, top and bottom, penetrator and penetrated, writer and reader, butch and femme, male and female, trans and cis, and so on. These differences find their way into and out of the way bodies write. A body that fucks with fucking can be a body that fucks with gender, and a body that fucks with gender can be a body that writes. Where the writing fucks with gender, and a writer embodied as fucking with gender can be a writer who fucks with genre, that most nucleated family of forms.
2: You can see, can you speak?
1: Yes, one, two, three. Yes. Ah, yes.
2: Now I can see you again.
1: Thank you. Ah.
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hi, Mackenzie. Um, Hi, Cecil. We get to meet and to talk about your new book, uh, Philosophy for Spiders on the Low Theory of Dr. Acker. For me as a well PhD student working on Acker was, of course, an immense pleasure uh, to read this book. But I'm sure it's also, or will be, uh, for others when it comes out. Because and your readings... In the book and the assembling of Ecker's text is very interesting because it shows the many ways in which Ecker was trying to think about um, topics like love and capitalism and queerness in way ways that are not so evident, I guess, because she was writing literature and fiction and or what are being called novels. Although, as you show, I, I'm not sure if they are novels. And you know, definitely not in the well bourgeois sense, as you, right. Um, so I want to start with a basic question, which is, how did you conceive of the book? Why did you start writing it?
1: I, I was doing it, the, I'd, I'd been out as uh, a trans person for a, a while, but it was the year I was going to start Hormones. And I kind of thought that would mess with my writing, which it really did. So I wanted to get some things done before that began uh and just i just had this intuition that there was some reason i wanted to really know kathy's writing better uh and i started and didn't stop i just read all of the books and then i started getting into the occasional pieces and interviews and and so on and i i kind of started to perceive like a pattern in it it seemed to me that there was um, besides all of the other ways that she's been written about, she was a theorist. Like you could kind of extract a fairly coherent philosophy out of it, and where the way it was written was part of, you know, like the form of it and the ideas in it went together. And so I thought, I don't think anybody's written that yet. Like there's a really good scholarship on on uh, Acker, as you would know. Uh, and I'd read Douglas Martin's book, and I'd read Georgina Colby and various other people, and it's like, yes, like there's things there, but the mark of a good writer is that you can get other things out of it it's like I think I have another way to read these books uh and so in a somewhat manic state I get a bit manic sometimes I'm like I'm doing a Kathy Acker book you know and and so that's how it all began
2: I see but then it's also I mean the, the book is divided in two parts it's just a more memoir kind of part and then Acker's philosophy in which you derive you know, three different kinds of philosophy and I wonder why yeah, what is the connection of the book to, um, well, the email correspondence? I'm very into you. That was published in 2015, and yeah, I guess my question is, why is the memoir also part of the philosophy book?
1: Yeah, I don't really know. I I felt like I wanted to um, write the story of my connection to Ca- to Kathy, which was very brief and only lasted a couple of weeks, and and there like many people that she got intensely into for a couple of weeks and then. Uh, uh no one was able to to you know be as totally into Kathy as she could get into you. So like no one lasted very long. So I, I thought it was sort of an emblematic of a type of relationship that she had. And I thought it'd be nice to do that. All of the I sort of searched my memory for what I remembered about Kathy, and I just remembered having sex with her. Like I was the thing that I really, you know, it, it was sort of transformative for me, and an important part of what ended up being my transition actually it goes back to to Kathy. Um, first cis woman who ever fucked me so I'm like <laughs> thank you so I, I wanted to document that and in a way the that part fell out of the middle of another book that I'd written called uh, reverse cow Girl, uh, which is is sort of um, a path to transition through gender euphoria like it's a sort of lesser-known version of how trans people discover themselves and I had this Kathy stuff that didn't seem to belong there so I had that and then I thought well, I knew her writing when we met, but I didn't really, really know it. And Matthias Weigner, who's Kathy's executor, had been asking me to do things around Kathy, And I'm like, I, sh- I need to know the work better. Uh, so I kind of read all of the books and I thought, oh, well, I have these two different things. So what if I put them next to each other? A part that's about the writer and a part that's about the writing. And to think about uh, how is the... Uh, Life and the body of the person connected to the writing. There's a way in which a lot of uh, there's a style of critique I was taught not to do, where you sort of reduce everything to the subjectivity of the author. I'm from post-structuralism where you don't do that at all. But it, but reading Kathy, I was like, you know what? There's something about the body and writing that's absolutely central to how she thinks uh, and how she works and who she was. So I wanted to do that, and I I remember calling Matthias in a bit of a panic, you know uh you know who's kathy's executor is in charge i, I don't get to use the quotes unless matthias signs off I'm like matthias I'm, I'm just writing about having sex with kathy is that okay like i think that's going in the book and matthias just with his gorgeous shrug is just like it's kathy you know like she wrote about people she fucked like that's like straight up there and you can figure out who they are so i'm like oh yeah it's not really inappropriate or or vulgar or and and you know in 21st century particularly millennials have very different ideas about boundaries of what can be public and private so i think it was pressing on that a little bit too so yeah it ended up with this sort of this contrapunel book this part that's you know just my very brief personal experience of this is the body of the writer and then this is the body of the work is the much longer part of the book and then there's a little um, afterword where I'm tracing a thread through both of those, those that's got to do with transness and is there a transgender reading of Acker? And I'm not making the claim that she was trans because I think there's something invasive about that and the whole point of people's genders is it's theirs to reveal or not. But what I want to do is remove the assumption that Kathy was a cis woman. If we take that away, it might be, but doesn't have to be true, then we can think about how... Uh, the sexes of the characters and the author might be different.
2: Yes, I see. I mean, it's true that, of course, Ecker also wrote about people uh, she had sex with. And it's, I mean, yeah. So I guess my question is not, um per se why the person was in there, but also why, uh, anyway, because she wrote, well, what she called, I guess, fake autobiography, right? So to use this, these facts from her life, but also twisting them and using her own life as a sort of text, which she can... Uh, well, fictionalized um, in different versions. And I mean, she has these, a few life events that come back in different uh, variants, right? So the death of the mother and her sex work and some other things. And yeah, so I wonder if your your writing about her, do, do you feel like you're taking this or are you placing yourself in this lineage of writing? I mean, because, yeah, I wonder, is your memoir, fake autobiography or is it more, I mean, do you, do you, yeah, what do you take from Ecker when you write in this kind of way?
1: Yeah, I, I sort of think it's more, uh, I didn't wanna copy her methods, mm-hmm. uh, but I did take this idea of writing as a, as a praxis where you're trying to create some distance from writing seeming to be a natural fact. So I was looking for, um, pres- there's a way her writing's procedural. And so it's like, I want to do that, but I'm going to have different procedures. So reading the books, uh, annotating them, categorizing all of the topics to sort of, you know, so it's not a method she ever used at all, like her method was the opposite. There's a way that my, you know, sort of procedure is the, the counter to her procedure in a way, or, you know, like a procedure that might come after Kathy's a little bit like um, conceptual artists do, so I was sort of thinking in that vein. So it's not imitative in that sense, because I don't think that's helpful, but it is uh, what, what space did this writer open up in ways of thinking about writing as a practice, and I'll do a, like a different one. So yeah, it's not fake autobiography. What I did instead was write exactly what's in my memory and then fact check my own memory and write where my memory is just wrong. And it's often about like little details of things. And that's sort of interesting to me. Um, for example, the last time I saw her was in London and I remembered where her house was. I remember a little bit of what it was like. I thought the canal was opposite. And I had a memory of the, the narrow canal boats in the canal being opposite where her apartment was. It's not. It's several blocks away in a different place. Uh, so my memories compressed two things together that sort of aren't the physical reality Google Maps will tell you. But there's there's something about how memory has put those things together. So I kind of went through all of the the stuff that was verifiable, to cast doubt on the veracity of my own memory, because I don't want it hinging on me making a sort of authenticity claim around things I remember. Uh, And if the things I can fact check are, you know, weirdly condensed and rearranged, then probably everything else is too. So it's a different method. It's not really an accurate method, but it is how do I interpose a method that would break the sort of seeming naturalness of either the memoirist as recalling a past or a fiction writer as making up a story. Uh, so yeah, that would be that, that relation to her, you know, accuracy, if you like.
2: Yes. And I think she, for her often writing or language as I see mm-hmm. it, uh, it's also an investigation of how memory works, mm-hmm. right? It's also why she, well, she uses or works a lot with dreams and fantasy and is a sort of big distrust of your own mind or of your, how your memory works. And I liked also that your book starts with this dream of Acker and then, um, which makes it, yeah, personal in a way that is definitely not based on truth. Um, yeah.
1: And- yeah, yeah, and and I haven't had that dream since. <laughs> I had a recurring dream, yeah. and then Kathy appeared in my recurring yeah. dream, and then I stopped having it. it was is wild. And, and yeah, she she was a big believer in those sorts of methods in mm-hmm. a way that I'm not. Like it, this sort of drew me in directions I hadn't been in before. You know i got my horoscope chart read which i would never occur to me to do that uh and i learned something from it you know like the astrologer is like your leadership style is intuitive and i'm like no it's not i'm like oh yeah i was thought i had reasons for things and i it's just my gut and then i'm like decide something and make it happen so so i was sort of like learning from uh, Kathy, and learning my difference from her a little bit, uh, and, and yeah, I, I don't use dreams as process, but I, I, yeah, the book starts with the one moment that happened. Kathy Acker wrote philosophy of sorts. Although they are marketed as such, maybe her books are not exactly or entirely novels. They're big chunks of prose, but are they novels? More groups of stories, some of them aren't even that. Somewhat philosophical treatises. For this Acker, part of the work I do is sometimes theory. And for this one, whatever the books are, she will add a little bit of theory. This theory is not the high theory sort for whom Plato is Danny, more like a low theory sort of philosopher, a philosophy for spiders, which is basically a tarantula of ideas in juxtaposition to the tarantula of fantasy that follows. Not a philosophy for free men, more a philosophy for brutes, women, slaves, beasts. A philosophy whose skill in threading words together as its own kind of more carnal love. The Logos must realise that it is part of the body and that the body is limited. It is a philosophy without fathers or even mothers, and so no more of their proper names will be mentioned. This philosophy for spiders is not a philosophy in which gentlemen discourse on the nature of the beautiful, the good and the true. It's a philosophy for those who are nameless, they had to spend their time working for the money. A philosophy not by those who could arise from their place to announce it because their place was to be on their knees, their mouths full of cock. A theory in which otherwise quite tractable bad girls and punk boys go off campus and conduct base experiments making sense and nonsense out of situations recruited due to our good intentions. V and I have instead learned a brutal philosophy, ignorance of all rational facts and concepts, raging for personal physical pleasure. May the whole Western intellectual world go to hell. It's vulgar, but not without knack. Maybe the skill, that is Sophia, is with weaving language, but not that of the sophists, the merchants of language skills, and yet not quite like the philosophers, the likers of, the lickers of reason. It's going to be a very contemporary love, Acker. She keeps reminding us that she does not really understand language at all, or maybe that language does not understand her. This is the only way that I can write. Bad.
2: I also wonder how this auto plagiarism as you call it uh or the martina scoliano um calls it um of ecker then maybe not you uh, how should we see this in uh, how does how does it relate to auto fiction your use perhaps also of auto fiction *Reverse refers cowgirl or uh this book also
1: yeah auto fiction is a category that in the at least in the anglophone world, got a bit out of out of hand and gets sort of applied to anything. And I'm sort of trying to uh, limit its use a little bit. Um, I and I I learned a lot from French autofiction writers who are mostly sort of like weirdo, marginal, queer, fuck up kind of people. Even though some of them became very famous. There's some of Marguerite Duras, I think, is autofiction. Uh, but among other things, she's a career alcoholic, right? That's sort of where she's writing from is this like woman alone in her country chateau getting hammered every night and writing these little texts that are, that are about a character or about Marguerite in some sense, but whether they're true or not. And she revisits the same story over and over, you know. Um, so yeah, auto fiction got a little out of hand. I, I think it's ways of um, freeing the... Uh, author to write from the world and from the self without making truth claims about either. And Kathy's useful for that. Like, I don't want to put a label on her like she's an auto fiction writer. But uh, another thing that's really similar to that is New Narrative is a whole school of uh, uh, mostly Bay Area American writers who did something very similar to auto fiction and sort of in parallel. Um, It's a little bit more street and queer than that like autofiction gets a little bourgeois in in French lit at some point, uh, just doesn't interest. I li- I like that it's mostly women writing, um, but it's like bourgeois Parisian French women at some point, and that sort of loses my attention. Um, so there's a way Cathy like does that a little bit, but then there's other methods and procedures in her work. So I wouldn't want to reduce her whole point of Kathy is she's not reducible to any one genre or style or or mode of reading. Um, but I think she's got resources if you're trying to uh, look at ways that you could write via a self that's going to be recognizably the author, in which case me, in reverse Calgal, it's, you know, like I'm the subject writing, um, but where your claims around veracity are, are, are you know, questionable and uh, are sort of bracketed.
2: And do you see autofiction? Was, you also wrote about autofiction as you, well, you wrote that you wanted to reclaim autofiction for a trans girl lit. And I wonder why, 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 do, you, why do you feel that autofiction, which has been you know, used, I think, yeah, as should say, like many bourgeois writers also, um, and a lot of women writers, which is interesting uh, as a sort of you know, as female genre. But I wonder, what, what, what can be queer? Uh, fiction.
1: <laughs> yeah everything gets appropriated you know so eventually like some you know <laughs> successful white guy writer in Scandinavia is going to write six fucking books of auto fiction like whatever <laughs> and 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 some it's it, it, some it's brilliant right but it's like I don't fucking need to know it's not it's not me uh the the question is for whom does the standard form of the novel or Uh, a memoir not really work without doing a certain amount of violence to aspects of the live and that includes among others you know queer and trans writers there's a sort of standard form of the memoir that trans lit is for a long time because you had to tell a certain story to get access to care and if you didn't tell that story you didn't get it so the the recognizable memoirs have that form and it's spilled over into the novel a little bit so i think that there's something very specific about not uh writing in that form and sort of pushing back against it and, uh, you know, in which case, yeah, so I can't tell the standard, you know, story of like, I always knew I was in the wrong body, I didn't feel like that at all, like, you know, um, things around femininity, just, you know, was actually exciting to me. So like, I would have been like, washed out of a gender clinic at the first interview, <laughs> like a lot of trans women were. So what's the form in which our story is, is tellable? Like, I think that's sort of a still relevant question. Um, particularly in many many parts of the world, where you still have to walk this narrow path to get care uh, as a trans person. So yeah, I've, I felt like autofiction had affordances. Um, I also like despised genres. Uh, like if people are like, desp- and it's in my Twitter feed daily. There's, there's always you know fucking novelists and 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 you know respectable academics. Oh, is that autofiction at some fad at some fashion. And it's like, have you read Janae? <laughs> Like if you read Our Lady of the Flowers, it's like a bunch of, you know, sort of semi-true masturbation stories, you know what I mean? It's autofiction, right? Like Janae is there as the character telling these stories to get off to in prison. Like that to me is autofiction and, and my life is way more comfortable in bourgeois than that but I'm very much interested in autofiction's connections to to things that are very marginal and including um, gay male sexuality that is absolutely antithetical to the standard form of the novel, which is all about marriage and property, right? That's what the novel's about. Um, And I kind of dislike this thing of the novel is so capacious, it can include absolutely anything. Well, in that case, it's not even a genre. We're just talking about literature. Um, But to sort of dispute and despise, you know, the novel's claims around uh, property strikes me as connected to Acker and a kind of important thing that other kinds of writing can do.
2: I agree that autofiction, of course, also is not so new, but the contemporary, you know, genre of autofiction, perhaps in a way, I mean, since it's been growing or been um, as a genre or, or being labeled as such, I feel like there's so much reaction, you know, in the sense of like, oh, it's a narcissistic genre, or you know, this is a genre that is like uh, exemplary of expressing, you know, the individual and never you know the collective. And I wonder how you see this. Is it is there you think possibility for well a plural uh, identity in autofiction? And yeah, how do you see this in your own writing also?
1: Yeah, and I'm like, they never give examples when people do this nonsense, right? It's like, yeah, all right, so Guillaume Dostan, like the, the the classic, you know, early text, you could say are sort of intensely uh, narcissistic. It's just about a gay man going out and getting fucked, you know, like that's the whole story. But then it's also like, oh my God, that's just the most fantastic group portrait of a certain kind of queer life in Paris at a certain moment in time you know so it's like through being um very direct about the possibilities of certain desires uh that it becomes the opposite of something that's narcissistic it just turn, you know flops over and turns itself completely inside out yeah so so there's kind of like like maybe people's just reading practices around autofiction are just really boring and banal and they're just not really looking for what might be interesting in that writing you know um same same with new narrative you know it's sort of like uh there's ways in which the classics of that seem very much about a small world but it's like this is a kind of exact map of what it was like to live with gentrification or with the start of the aids pandemic and so on so yeah i just just find these lines of criticism just sort of banal and self-revealing about just how narrow like bourgeois literary culture is uh it's it's just sort of uninterested in anything that's outside of certain formal constraints um, and I always want to be wherever the 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 despised like object is, yeah. Um, like I love those theory writers everybody thought were trash, like Jean Baudrillard. You know, it's like, oh, this is awesome. I love this. Everyone despises it, so it must be interesting, you know. <laughs>
0: That's
2: right. I think new narrative was very much about a collective in the sense of being marginalised um, and having the same kind of well, often in the case of new narrative, gay male struggle, but that it's. You know the fact that that they use autobiographical facts or are uh, you know use gossip and uh, interact with each other. I think is in a way you know they try to cons- constitute a group rather than um, yeah the only their big live story yeah, right
1: yeah and that's it, sort of my hope for trans literature is is to think about it that there's so much pressure that the publishing industry puts on it to to sort of elevate a few individual voices and the smarter of whom realize how dangerous that is uh to just become that uh and how collective writing practices and i i the moment in new york city where a kind of uh uh, group writing practice for trans people happened like I sort of stepped into the wake of it falling apart uh, and sort of looking for how you can sort of reconstitute that so that we're reading each other's stuff and commenting on it and trying to develop um, so I'm I'm the you know I come, came very late uh, to that world but I, I sort of wanted to sort of continue and keep a little thread of that um, and then to think more broadly like what's you know what's collective practices of Uh, trans aesthetics across other media um, just here in New York City but then also how can you sort of connect that to elsewhere in the world because it's you know trans people like particularly trans women are like half a percent of the entire population you know Uh, and at some point you have to get over and and have your work sell to other audiences but in what can be for us like how can we have ongoingness and, and a culture that's more than folklore and newsletters and things like that and 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 sort of reestablish our place in the world. Like that strikes me as a whole cultural and political project.
2: And the trans, yeah, if we speak of trans literature, I wonder, I know you, you don't make the claim in your book that Acker was trans or that, um, I think it's a trans reading or a queer reading of uh, Acker. And I wonder how, um, what, what is it in the text that you felt like triggers this kind of reading? And specifically, I want to know about uh, the languages of the body because this is something that she experimented with in different ways through bodybuilding, masturbation, and and you write about the pirate body as you know uh, as sort of a, a concept to think with or a phenomenology of the body that is not based on the subject um, as stable. Okay.
1: Yeah, the, the Pirate Body is a concept developed by uh, a former student of mine, Cato True, who, who's no longer with us, so our, the book's dedicated to Cato, who is my co-thinker, this, uh, someone some was a trans man and, and had a different reading of Acker, I think because of that, because both of them were assigned female at birth and were thinking through gender from, you know, the same side, so to speak, uh, so just, just you know, kind of pull one out for Cato here. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of reclaiming of uh, like Hemingway could have been a trans woman, like who'd have thought, you know, Um, but I'm less interested in uh, like what we call eggs, you know, like who is the not out trans person and can we impose that because it just seems politically mistaken to be assuming someone's gender uh, at all, you know. Uh, uh even though there's so many people trans people want to claim kurt cobain with like it's like come on just just leave people be if people come out then they're out <laughs> but if they're not then that's their choice you have to respect it slightly different thing is taking away the assumption that someone is cis uh so what does it mean to just not take that for granted anymore and then you can find uh and and you don't need to assume things about the body of the writer completely although you might have some questions about it but there's like so much um crossing of genders in acker uh you know supposedly male characters who are women or who called he and she at the same time happens uh at least once uh pirate bodies that Kind thought of the pirate body as dysphoric. That's not comfortable in its genre, uh, right. in its size, <laughs> in, in its gender, but <laughs> genre also, right? Uh, yeah. So the pirate, bo- the pirate body sometimes, you know, generates a like huge dick in the middle of fucking and fuck somebody with it. Things like that happen in Pussy King of the Pirates. Uh, so yeah, that that to me was kind of an interesting space to explore. And for trans lit, we don't have a canon. Uh, the question is who makes space for us in an existing literature that we can hold on to. And I really think ACRA does. There's space for trans people. There's some things you could find um, uncomfortable or not politically correct or something in the 21st century. But she's struggling with the language, you know, from the 70s through the 90s, where there would be space for us. Occasionally getting language wrong. Some things are dated. But I think, oh, Kathy is a friend of ours. Uh, You know, Kathy... And, and, and it's where I don't think it's inappropriate to sort of put that alongside my own experience with her of like, oh, that was somebody who was assigned female at birth and wrote consciously as a woman sometimes, uh, but could also turn on a kind of trans mass sexual energy and love that, you know? Uh, there's, there's ways in which genders can be, you know, kind of fluid and variable in real life and in literature. Uh, and Kathy's one of those people.
2: Yes, this is also why I feel like the memoir part or the, is, is actually, it's really helpful also for the philosophy because it's, I think in this, because as you say, you, yeah, you talk about you know, the sex you had with, uh, with Acker and there's so much happening in that sex scene. There's so much gender, um, I don't know, Unstability happening there, and different dynamics, which I feel are also very present in her texts in general, in the kind of scripts and other things she used to um, write about sex. And yeah, so I wonder if we talk about Ecker's philosophy, it's as you say, a ph- phenomenology of the body. She was looking for a language, also that could as directly as possible express this sort of yeah, the body in a way, and I, I. I I want to know how do you see this language is it does it have to be experimental narrative kind of writing uh as is often the case in ecker's text or yeah
1: yeah maybe not and and that's sort of maybe there's other ways to approach the same uh topic and yeah there's there's ways kathy is always working on uh the language of the body itself that might bypass Uh, subjectivity that's kind of pre-Freudian in a way Uh, it's very suspicious of psychoanalysis and I share that Uh, but it's like yeah to what extent you can't obviously completely bracket off subjectivity and write directly about the physical body but it's really worth the attempt yeah Uh, that a method's not completely possible doesn't rule it out and the the bits on uh, the language of bodybuilding, I found sort of like super interesting. I'm not a bodybuilder. I actually started, you know, like a gym practice to try to understand what she was getting at. But you know, I, I'm nowhere near, you know, as as invested in that. Um, but I sort of I sort of get it. It's like, ah, oh, the language of the body is repetitions. You know, like you're imposing this absolutely minimal code of it's so many reps with this weight, with this movement. Uh, but then it you the the body is is perceptible within that minimal language because you're doing your standard reps and suddenly you can't do them. The body is saying something in its own language, in the gap between what it says that you can't quite articulate and the repetitions. So I, and actually I've been looking for, you know, I'm not going to bodybuild, but looking for things uh, like that. I went back to like rave culture and it's like, Oh, the, the repetition of like, incredibly repetitive techno music like pounding away and 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 how i kind of uh start to perceive the language of my own body in relation to that it's like oh i got i'm just thinking this now i kind of got that out of acker in a way Um, but yeah like masturbation was a whole practice of writing for her Uh, and and not alone in that that's a little bit comes from jenay and um uh also had a method like that yeah uh, and and the, the sort of specific um, bit that uh, connects us is to think uh, a sort of phenomenology of the body around penetration versus penetrability, and that's where I have to caution: not everybody's understanding of either sex or gender has to center that. But I think hers did sometimes, and mine absolutely does, um, particularly in reverse cowgirl. So yeah, what what's the asymmetry around? And of course, any body can. penetrated or penetrate another so it's not necessarily mapping onto male and female or anything like that um but what does it mean for uh something to be enclosed by something else and how does how is that asymmetry in itself uh, a language right as soon as you have it's you know if you think about it penetration is the most minimal kind of sign uh one thing's in another what can you build out of that Um, So I I took that bit out of Acker and built other things out of it. But yeah, it's kind of a constant. Like she's not a writer very interested in subjectivity at all and has all of these methods for destroying it. Hence the emphasis on dreams, on like formal methods, uh, um, appropriation and detournement. There's all these things she's doing where don't give a shit about, you know, like what my subjectivity's kind of structure is. Um, We do circle around the story of the mother kind of constantly, but it's interesting how it spits off in slightly different directions, all the versions of that story are slightly different. And it's a way of taking a narrative, like a little narrative kernel and spinning it out in different directions, maybe, rather than something that's, you know, kind of um, psychoanalytic at all.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, uh, this loss of subjectivity or what she was looking for in text. Connected to repetition. And also, mm. as you say, with rave, it can be a similar kind of effect. It's the repetition of if it's either a sign or sound or language that can actually sort of decenter, um, I think, this uh, subjectivity.
1: A lot of actors dwell on the penetrated body. in me my madness and since you've already taken me i beg you with everything that is mean to take me there are many actors for whom sex is most intense as an act of being fucked although there are other actors who might dispute this there is a basic agreement that the act of kissing is far more explosive than that of fucking. There are many detailed descriptions of being fucked in the Acre text, where destruction of self, dilation of time, metamorphosis, beyond the human and intensity of orgasm, all come together for the penetrated body. Once penetrated, the body or garden cannot forget the pleasure that stemmed from its penetration. To be fucked is a situation that produces a sensation of the body organized around its penetrability. Since the body is the first ground of knowledge, my teacher made me take off my clothes. A mouth touched and licked my ass. A finger stuck into my asshole. A dildo thrust into my asshole and a dildo thrust into my cunt. Both dildos squirted liquid into me, which I saw was white. I was so over-the-top excited, I came. The main thing for me was my body's uncontrolled reactions. My teacher told me it wasn't enough for me to know that my body, me, reacted this way. I had to know more precisely all of my complex reactions. Did I feel or react more strongly in my asshole or in my can't? This acre. And she could hear her own noises coming out and lying like animals in her nostrils and mouth, mule noises. And then her body was a drilling machine. She was not animal, she was thing. Against him, against him, I'm a machine, I'm a machine, I'm out of control. And boom, the orgasm just came. It was large, it made her into it. Come like death, the screams didn't come from anyone. She didn't go where this pleasure or perfection led her because she was each sensation totally. The cock began to pump liquid up and down its length into her vagina, deep in there where there is more sensation than surface feeling. She felt this enter in waves and she, the mucous membranes exactly there, pulsed in complementary time. Come, come, it's called coming, she said to herself afterwards. You can't stop it when it happens. You can't do anything about it. Sex produces a body seen into time and the world that few other situations produce and being fucked is a kind of sex act that produces it with a certain intensity. There's definite difference in my physical being or body between while I'm being fucked and I'm not being fucked. How can I say anything when I'm totally uncertain or not, when I'm totally uncentralized or not being fucked? Being penetrated creates a node around which every other different sensation, cells, gender can disperse in the acker field, the one doing the fucking, at least in heterosexual situations, occasions only brief remarks. You become out of control, getting into me as much as you can. I'm beyond coming, in a space of consciousness and unconsciousness, black, no more pain, like no more coming. I never knew I could get here, you stop. When you're cocked out of me, I come down enough to start coming. Gradually, I stop coming. To be the penetrator is just not that interesting. The penetrator becomes out of control only as much as he can, which apparently is not much, as penetrators like control. Barbarella. Most men don't like sex. They like being powerful. And when you have good sex, you lose all your power.
2: For this book, there's also this I feel this is your philosophy of Acker, or Acker's philosophy that you derive from our text is an assemblage of her texts, right? So the the text consists mostly of her citations uh, from her work. Uh, And as you say, it's a sort of Acker web of, um, and what I like about this is that it only gives, you know, these are a few readings of Acker, but definitely no uh, final one at all. And I also, I was thinking that, to what extent can we attach uh, intentionality to Acker's project or not? Because you the title of your book is Philosophy, uh, A Philosophy for Spiders on the Low Theory of Kathy Acker, which implies in a way that Acker was writing low theory. Um, yeah, I wonder how do you see this? Um, yeah, attaching intentionality to that project when she was doing all these different kinds of experiments. And what can we gain from a low theoretical reading also of her work, as opposed to a high theoretical, because she's been read, of course, with well, postmodernist theory and later um, also a to féminine, so sixou and rigaret to frame her in that sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's there's a few things there. Uh I didn't want to do that thing of um being the critic who tops the author that you write about, uh, you know, where you sort of reduce it to some sort of master text. Uh, mistress text, right? You can, you know, because obviously she'd read Irigaray and Sisu. This, you know, she taught Sisu. Uh, She knew that stuff well. But I think there's ways that um, there's like a flat equivalence to all of the texts that she works with in a way, even the ones that she sort of deeply admired. And there's a couple of things by Sisu that she clearly did. Uh, So, yeah, I I didn't want to put, you know, uh, there, there used to be a meme that was just like, hashtag no dads. And, and so I definitely did not want to reduce her to, you know, sort of Jean Baudrillard who shows up a few times or, or Katari, you know, whose work she uses. I, and, but it's also like no moms, you know, uh, she's not reducible to the the sort of grand uh, uh, ladies of, of, you know, sort of French philosophy um, and, and what, what Chris Krause called good girl feminism uh, from which she was kind of alienated, you know, it's like she would go to meetings and they throw her out and she was this like, you know, like punk other to all of that. But I sort of wanted to honor that, you know, like she never had a full-time teaching job, you know, she's like pissed off about being an adjunct. Uh, so relatable to so many people in higher education now in America, it's like, yep, Kathy is adjunct, you know. So I yeah, to me, low theory uh, may borrow from anywhere at all, including, you know, very respectable and authorized kind of texts, but it's, you know, sort of then using that, uh, grind it up and use it as ways to create concepts directly out of everyday life. And I think that's why Acker has worked for generations of often of uh, young sign female at birth people who've experienced like how fucked up the nuclear family is, uh, or how abusive, patriarchy is and just like oh this book exactly gets it you know or there's like queer people of all kinds sometimes land on it and go oh yeah like this is giving me concepts for how i can articulate you know the the abject or uh erotic side of my own life is and i'm sort of much more interested in that you know like what are the uh you know to to do high theory now in the united states you know you need a hundred thousand dollars to go to grad school like there's a way theory hid in the university, but it's just not viable anymore in the same way. Uh, is there a way that there can be a conceptual language directly articulable to the everyday and one that's available for women, for queer people, for not white people and so on, who often don't get those uh, um, opportunities anyway? So, yeah, I, I wanted to position Kathy, you know, in that way as, as a writer for uh, um. Certain kinds of readers who have those experiences now, but where the thing that you could emphasize a bit more in Kathy than has been in the past is, you know, a couple of things really. Uh, you know, like one, that it's a conceptual language that she's offering, like the, the method is a way to think conceptually. Uh, another is you can add transness to the list of potential openings are potential readings that are available here not just queerness and there's a way in which we tend to subordinate transness to queerness we have to stop doing that like the the concepts you need to be trans are actually not the ones you need to be queer they're kind of related but different and there's a way that we can get this like the other reading to the queer readings that have been offered of Acker. I have
2: one more question um the recent I feel emergence of books that engage with Ecker. Uh, you know, you have Olivia Lang, Crudo, and well, Chris Krause is after Kathy Ecker, of course. And I think it was, yeah, it's on, on, on the cover of your book that Cheryl Shulman calls this the my Kathy genre. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, I think, I, I just want to know, I guess, um, um, do you think there is a, this risk of Kathy becoming gentrified? Or um, do you, and where do you see your own book? Where where do do you position your book in this? I think that low theory already, of course, implies a very different kind of book than maybe some of the the academic uh, books on ACT or other um, monographs are. But still, I I mean, the the, my Cathy genre is also, I guess, more personal writing often, Um, yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah so sarah can be a little spicy i actually love that <laughs> the my kathy genre why not i got and we're sort of still going through that era uh someone should really do a collection of her letters and one of the reasons i wanted to do my email correspondence with her which lasted two weeks or something right it's like oh my gosh she was such a great correspondent there must be so much juicy stuff in all the other correspondence but someone needs a grant or something to go do it you know so we can have everybody's my kathy to you know, uh, to uh, quite frankly, canonize her. Like, wouldn't it be great? Like the, you know, like the next person to like, we're done with like David Foster Wallace and all this stuff, you know, like incidentally, another person, some people think was trans, like just, just leave that goal alone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but, but it's like, what? why not? Like there's a sort of um, contrapunal thing about that to make her somebody who like her papers are at Duke right um she's already being institutionalized in a certain way uh to sort of have her be in that niche so that she's available to take down out of it and then sort of hand to somebody you know in the back of a club uh who you see has had a certain set of experiences and we like try reading this like maybe this book will help your life uh in in astonishing ways so yeah I, I think those two things go on at once and i, I want to see her be somebody who's still available and and, and it's a, a, it's just an offering right it's up to each generation of readers to decide whether it works for them or not i can't decide that but but uh, to have uh her books still be in print which they've always been they never sold all that well but they're always selling they're always in print covers finally got a little bit better uh that there's scholarship so you could teach it in an english class or a media studies class or a gender studies class or a trans studies class you know so that she's just available everywhere at the same time that you're making her kind of respectable um in a way that's rare in american letters i think french are are better at reclaiming their complete weirdo fuck-ups back into the canon. Uh, Sad for crying out loud, or, or Georges Bataille, Janae, right? They canonized Genet. What? How the hell did that happen? Uh, in Anglophone literature, maybe not quite so much. So I, I kind of love it if there's a space for her. Uh, let's get a woman into the canon. All right, she was a white woman who came from money, but, you know, like baby steps.
2: That's true. I think the canonization of her work, because it allows for so much, more, many more readings. I mean, her work is so rich and there's so much still, I feel like. Yeah, like and
1: that. I'm I'm not a real literary studies scholar. So, the, you know, I can't do what someone like Georgina Colby did, you know, do a book with Oxford, which has a real established literary critical method and so on. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of like making, a, I hope, like a different space where she can be read by different kinds of uh, scholars and students. So yeah, it's a little uh, um, contradictory maybe that I'm, I'm sort of arguing for Cathy's low theory in a book published by Duke University Press, which is sort of like one of the great presses at the moment for humanities scholarship in America. many people would would, would argue and I'd agree, right? Um, but there's a way that those things can circulate a little bit outside. Uh, uh, You know, like high theory and low theory aren't separate categories. They're permeable, like the relation between them is continuous. Uh, So yeah, this is just an author I happen to personally be connected to and whose work I really came to love. Uh, And I wanted to sort of uh, honour that and and make a little contribution to like where is the space in a kind of canon of Anglophone letters where um, the trans reader in particular could have a little niche, but not instead of, but alongside the queer reader and the feminist reader and the punk reader and, you know, and, and the, the avant-garde reader and the bohemian reader, and, you know, all of those things combined.
2: Thank you so much, Fikensi, for talking to us uh, about this book.
1: Thank you, Tessel. It's been a pleasure.